Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Chris Entz. Chris is an author and screenwriter who has written more than 20 books on the subject of women in the Old West and has collaborated with producer Howard Kazanjan on seven books, including two about Roy Rogers and the Elevens. Chris has won five Will Rogers Medallion Awards, two Academy of Western Artists Elmer Kelton Awards, and the Western Writers of America Spur Finalist Award. Chris has two books coming out. The first, called Iron Women, about the women who built the railroad, comes out later this year, as well as an upcoming book with Howard Kazanjian called The Widow's Circle, about Elizabeth Custer, which comes out in 2022. Chris. We're very impressed by that bio, and we're very excited and honored to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Well, thank you, Court. I'm excited to be here. I am uh, thrilled to be able to talk about the uh, craft of writing, and thank you for inviting me. We always love talking about the craft of writing. Before we get into the craft side of things, my first question is always, where are you in the world right now? So can you tell us, for those who don't know, where are you based right now? I'm in Northern California. I am between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe. Lots of snow, lots of skiing. It's the winter wonderland right now. Have you always been based there? For, you know, an author, did you ever move somewhere to pursue writing? You know, sometimes writers go to New York to be closer to publishers. For you, did you ever travel to be closer to the industry or have you always been based in California? Tell us about your location. I was in Arizona for a number of years. I write books about women of the Old West, so I find it's best to be in places where the history of the Old West comes alive. Tucson and Arizona as a whole was that place for me. And then I moved to the gold country, where gold was discovered maybe 13 miles from where I live right now. And it's just, the history is so thick. You have to wipe it away like a cobweb. And it's perfect for the kind of writing that I do. I'm steeped in history here. Before we get into your books, because I'm excited to talk to you about your work, while we're on the subject of location, obviously right now there's a lot going on with quarantine. As a writer, I know that writers are already an isolated bunch. So for you... Has quarantine affected you at all, being inside, writing anyway? The only thing that has affected me is doing any historical research where I need to get into historical archives. That's from Yale to Berkeley. Everything is closed. So for me to access any of the archives from the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian, or as I said, Yale or Berkeley, everything is shut down. So it's hard for me to do research on future books. So, I mean, I've been able to do a lot of writing, 
But to do any more of the research on the books that I already have contracted to do, I've had to put that off. For those writers who are listening, who are writing at home, you know, similar to what you described, but maybe struggling with inspiration, writer's block, those kind of things. Do you have any advice for those who are at home trying to get through their works, finish their works during these times? You know, I would suggest changing up where you are doing the writing in your home. It's really easy to to get into a rut if you are in that one room where you do all your writing. Because when you write, it's just, you could be mobile. Just take it somewhere else in your home that you ordinarily wouldn't be in. And sometimes a change of scenery with regards to that kind of helps spur things along. I always appreciate when someone, I write nonfiction. So there's always something that I'm working on that sparks my interest. So I have three books going at once. So if I get stuck in one area, I move to another book. And, you know, it it helps to be doing multiple projects. Love that. Before we get into the actual process itself, can you walk us through, you've written a lot of books. Can you walk us through your career trajectory from the beginning? Did you always want to be an author? And how did you get to this point where you're obviously very accomplished? No, I knew I wanted to write, but I was in stand-up comedy for a long time. I worked my way through college at the University of Arizona doing stand-up comedy. And that's what I wanted to do. It just When I finally got into doing it, it wasn't anything like I had seen on The Tonight Show for so many years. You know, it's opening at little divey places throughout the country and hoping that you get some 15 minutes of time to do your shtick. And I didn't find that I enjoyed it that much. And then I started writing about women in history and that kind of, that kind of sparked and I got book contracts based on the very first book that I did. And now I'm on my 53rd book. And that's the area that, I mean, I'm just kind of branded in that area. And I mean, I've enjoyed being able to do that. I love comedy, but comedy is so subjective that it's hard to, it's hard to say, this is something that you want to do forever. You know, it's just kind of, I think the Three Stooges are absolutely hysterical, but not everybody finds the Three Stooges hysterical. So I'm glad that I've been able to write about women in history. I've deviated from that a couple of times during the years. I've written about Republic Pictures. I had a book come out a couple of years ago called Cowboys, Creatures, and Classics. And it's about the great Republic Pictures studio. And then I'm working on a book right now called Straight Lady with Howard Kazanjian. And it's about Margaret Dumont, the Marx Brothers, and the making of A Day at the Races. So even though I write about women in history, I get to, in some respects, still keep my hand in comedy as I would be with uh, Margaret Dumont and the Marx Brothers. I would love to talk about your process, focusing on writing a nonfiction book. Are you cool to school us on you know, your writing process and going through from inception to completing a book? I would be happy to do that. Awesome. The first question, before we even get into inception and the ideas for the books themselves, why women in the Old West? Why has that become your thing, so to speak? Where did that come from? You obviously have a lot of passion for it. So 
Where did that idea come from? And why did you choose to stick with that? When I first began writing about women of the Old West, there weren't as many books out on the subject as there are today. But I picked an area that I believe not only be something that I would find interesting and compelling to write about, but always in the back of my mind is the fact that writing is an industry and being able to sell what you write is important. And so I wanted to write about these amazing women who came West and who helped settle the frontier because there weren't a lot written about them when I started this. But as time goes on, just being able to give them their respect and settling the civilization out West is something that I aspire to do more and more. And so I picked topics about these women that are, I mean, they're little known instances about these women that came West, but I've picked people that the average reader would know about. For example, I wrote a book about Annie Oakley. Howard and I both wrote this book about Annie Oakley. And everybody knows about Annie Oakley and her days with the Buffalo Bill Cody show. But we wanted to write about Annie Oakley because people would automatically go, oh, Annie Oakley, this looks like I know Annie Oakley. And so you have that recognition where somebody would scoop that up off the shelf. But then the story, as I say, is called The Trial of Annie Oakley because it's not necessarily about her life with Cody, but it's about the six years that she spent in court fighting William Randolph Hearst for defamation of character. It's just an absolutely phenomenal story. So you find things that little known pieces of well-known individuals that are going to be compelling for you as a writer, but also allow your publishing house and your distributor to be able to sell that product better. As far as the books themselves, can you walk us through, maybe we could talk about the upcoming books, but can you walk us through, obviously within the world of women, the Old West, why did you choose these subjects? And because you're specifically working within that world, are you constantly, I imagine, reading and researching all of the possible subjects that you could be writing about and then kind of choosing, okay, this is a subject I think is going to be the most compelling. How do you decide on what to write about in each book? Well, I'm also a licensed private investigator. So I love to go on a deep dive on a particular subject and find some primary source material that really has just kind of been languishing and no one has really tapped into. For example, the book that Howard and I are working on right now it's called The Widow's Circle. And The Widow's Circle is about the widows of the officers of Last Stand. Elizabeth Custer and six other women were officers' wives who were left widows. And they had this friendship that lasted a lifetime. And they got through these horrific ordeals because of their friendship. And I have a lot of. I've inherited a lot of Elizabeth Custer's personal items that no one has seen before by going out and doing the research that I have. And so when this book gets introduced, there will be items that no one has seen before about Elizabeth Custer and what she knew of her husband and her friends and the other officers. So that's kind of how I 
pick my subjects, finding something that is fresh and compelling and not the same thing that you have seen over and over again. You know, it could be an old subject, but with a new way of being able to approach it, a new material that you might unearth that few people have read or know much about. So I'm always working on that angle. Howard and I wrote a book called The Death Row All-Stars, which is the story of a baseball team in Wyoming in 1911, that as long as they played baseball and won at this particular prison, they got stays of execution. So being able to go and do the research on that subject, you know, same old subject, baseball, to approach this piece of information that no one has seen before. So once you decide to write about a subject, I imagine you've already done some research at that point, but what are the next steps? Are you, I imagine, reading a lot of books, researching when you can, going to places. But what about outlining? Does the outlining process of a nonfiction book happen before or after that research? Walk us through that early phase. It absolutely does. I do a complete outline of the book. I do a chapter outline of each one of the books, each of the pieces that I'm going to be doing with the book. I make sure that I have kind of treated in three acts. Each one of the chapters in my estimation have three acts in them. And I try to keep it moving like that. I try to write in a way that people can visualize what was going on at that time in history. And I do that for each one of my books. It is, and I'm one of those people that can't just sit at a laptop or a computer and just start writing. I have to write everything out by hand. And then that's usually my first write, my first draft. And then my second rewrite is when I type it into my laptop. And I kind of work out some of the kinks when I do it like that. Everybody has to find their way of getting from point A to point B. I know a lot of people, you know, when I tell them to write everything out by hand, they think that I'm, you know, a crazy person, but it's the process that works for me and I like it. I like being able to take notes and have things scattered and being able to put everything together for chapter one like that. So I am very methodical when it comes to writing notes and then handwriting everything that I do for my chapters and then putting it into one little basket, as it were. And so, you know, I feel like that's a long-winded answer of me saying, yeah, I do an outline. I certainly do. What about character? Tell us about, you know, obviously we talked to a lot of writers for fiction books, but for when you write a nonfiction book, character is still just as important. Obviously, when you write a fiction book, you're creating that character. But from a nonfiction perspective, you're still doing that research. And like you said, as a private investigator, researching and trying to get into the mind of that character. Can you walk us through that process of trying to, you know, walk in each character's shoes, so to speak? Yes. I love to be able to find something about each one of the real characters that I write about, the real individuals that I write about. For example, with Annie Oakley, I can write about her by getting to know her and those little things about her. Annie Oakley, a lot of people don't know that Annie Oakley 
early in her life was involved very bad train accident when she was going across country with Cody show where she was the train hit another train head on and she was thrown out of her berth and a trunk fell on her and really did some damage to her spine and she had a number of operations, very serious operations early on in her life. And she always wore skirts. You never saw her wearing pants. You always saw her wearing skirts. And the reason for that is, is because she had a brace on her leg. And when you find those little bits about people that you don't know, you look at their character from a different standpoint. She always wore gloves too, because she wanted people to know that she was a lady because so many people thought that she was uneducated and that she was illiterate. And so the wearing of the gloves for her was a sense of dignity, was a sense of not aristocratic sense, but just a sense of that she was a person of means. She was a person of quality and gloves meant that for her. So when you find those little things, being able to write about that person just makes it more deep. And I love those little things. It's with everyone that I write about, all these women from the early frontier, I find something about their personality. I wrote about Laura Keene. And Laura Keene was this amazing actress who performed in Our American Cousin for Lincoln at Ford's Theater. And everybody loved Laura Keene, not just because she was a great comedic actress, but she wore these incredible clothes. And to know that about this particular character that I'm writing about, real frontier character, it just kind of gave them a little bit more of a flavor. You can get a handle on her. She's somebody that liked clothes, that meant something to her. She came from poverty. So having these amazing costumes and these amazing clothes that people spoke of just made writing about her all the more rich. What about themes, both for nonfiction and fiction? There are always themes, messages that you're trying to say, so to speak. You set out to write a nonfiction book. Do you have a list of themes based on your research that you are trying to say? Or from a historical perspective, are you trying to let the stories that happen kind of speak for themselves? I think it's a combination of both. For example, when writing the Death Row All-Stars, those amazing baseball players, it starts out being a story, and it still is a story, about the baseball players, about their crimes that they committed, about why they are on death row. It's also the camaraderie that they had playing baseball and how that was their way of being able to make up to society what they had done wrong by playing a good game of baseball. And so in the process of writing about what comes out of that is this theme of, of the triumph over these amazing or these horrible conditions as they were. You know, this prison there in Rollins, Wyoming in 1911, just being able to see that these guys were rapists, they were murderers. And that is a story, but the theme of how they became better people playing baseball and how they learned to coexist and win and build a team together. That is the theme 
that came out of this real story. So I'm not setting out to, per se, find a story about getting through the loss of someone that you've loved, as in the case of Elizabeth Custer. It just turns out to be that way when you, you kind of find you when you're writing about historical figures like that. I'd love to talk about your collaborations with Howard. I guess the first question is, how did you meet? And then what's your collaboration process? Oh, golly, a long time ago, I entered the Nickel Fellowship Award, which is a screenwriting contest. And I wrote a screenplay called Die Laughing. It was about a stand-up comedian who's mistaken for a mafia hit woman. And Howard just happened to be a judge for that particular contest. And at the end of it, he contacted me and let me know that he was good friends with the Rogers family and particularly Dale Evans, who was Roy Rogers' wife. And he wanted to find a writer to help him work on a book about Roy and Dale. And he contacted me and we sat down and we talked about this book and he shared with me what he wanted to do with the book. And then we met with family and we wrote these two books, which were at that time going to be launched into being a motion picture. And so that's how that began. And he's a phenomenal talent. He's very smart. He sees cinematically. And he's just one of the most kind, decent people. And that kind of, it kind of evolved from starting with the Roy Rogers book to we've written about Annie Oakley. We've written a book called Thunder Over the Prairie, which Walter Hill adapted into a motion picture. It just kind of has snowballed from that point on. And it's just because it's such a wonderful working relationship. And he's got a wonderful wife and kids. And it's just a great collaboration. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so I never would have realized, I mean, I entered a screenwriting contest hoping to win the contest, which didn't happen. But I won in other respects because I got this amazing writing partner out of it. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. 
So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. As far as working with Howard, obviously Howard has produced major feature films. Each project you have, when you work with Howard or without, is the goal adapted into films? Is that one of your goals when you set out? Or is that just a bonus sometimes when it happens to work out? We certainly do select topics that we think will be able to, the book would be able to sell very well. And that might, might attract a producer to make it into a motion picture. I can't say that that is something that works all the time because these are period pieces. And a lot of times the industry doesn't want to do period pieces because they feel they're too expensive. You know, they'll break away from that once in a while, but it's not the norm. Always what you hear is this is a period piece. We're not interested in doing period pieces, but we've so enjoyed finding these amazing stories that we truly believe would make phenomenal pictures, that that is how we select what we write about. We wrote a book a few years ago about Ma Barker called America's Most Wanted Mother. We were absolutely fascinated with the fact that Ma Barker and her boys at one time in history were numbers one through five on the FBI's most wanted list. And we wanted to know what kind of a mother would this have been to raise these criminals? And just finding out about this particular person, how she was a criminal herself and had, for the most part, the public fooled into believing that she was this dowdy old lady who really was just loving her boys and had no idea what was going on. We kind of took a different approach to this. And when we started digging to the historic archives, we found a lot of information to support that. And we wrote it hoping that somebody would pick this up. And it's a great part for an actress. So we do look at things like that. We make that our industry. So I would be dishonest if I said that wasn't something that attracts us or that we think about. We like to write pieces that we know actresses are going to resonate with, but also we pick subjects that are going to sell. I mean, I keep coming back to that selling point because it is a business and you can't get anybody to be interested in your book one way or another, be a motion picture or just to read it if you don't sell a product. And that is always a big portion of what goes into the writing. So all of these questions that you're asking, those are all good key sell questions as well. For nonfiction, when we've talked to nonfiction writers before, we've heard that when you submit an idea to a publisher, you don't need to have that completed work completed. Whereas a lot of the time with fiction works, usually the work is completed before sending a query letter. I imagine at this point in your career, you're working with some of the same editors, agents, and publishers that you have since you've published so many books. But is it true that you can kind of pitch a nonfiction book without having written it? To some degree, that is true. You do have to have a sample chapter completed. You do have to have very detailed information for each one of the chapters that you 
them know that you want to write. This is a 12-chapter book. You have to have explain what's going to go into each one of those outlines. I mean, each one of those chapters. The biggest part that I am required to do for my publishing house is to show how this is going to be profitable, how this is going to be a book that's going to make money. I have to show the numbers with that. You know, it's especially when it comes to writing about the American West, it's incumbent upon you to pick a character that you already know people are going to resonate with, say like Calamity Jane, although I've never written a standalone book about Calamity Jane. But if I was going to write about Calamity Jane, I may not have to have as in-depth a proposal, but a proposal nonetheless has to be uh, very involved. But if I turn one in for Calamity Jane, it may not have to be as involved as opposed to wrote about, you know, Josie Smith, who came on wagon train and started a newspaper in Northern California, really knows about Josie Smith. So you really have to really show how that's going to be something that's going to make money. Ordinarily, I don't, I don't do anything like that. So it's my long-winded way of saying I don't have to necessarily have the whole book written, but I have to have a pretty good idea of what each one of those chapters are going to be and what the whole book is going to be about in order to sell it to my publisher and let them know how it's going to make money. Going back to characters, from all the research you've done and all of the characters, all of the female characters you've written about in the Old West, are there similarities? Are there themes? Or is there a theory of everything for or commonalities for some of these characters that you've researched? All of the women that I have written about who came west to either entertain, to either start their own business, to teach school, all of these women came west not saying, I am a woman, let me do this. They came west to make a better life for themselves, for their families. There was not that driving influence or driving idea of, I'm a woman, let me do this. This is something that I can achieve because I am female. Your gender didn't have anything to do with it. That was just happenstance. The American frontier was vast and open to whatever it is that you could conceive that you could do. If you could go there, and made a way and fight the elements and everything else involved. And you were strong enough to get there. That's what these women did. And they triumphed in a land that was so incredibly rugged that, you know, I love that movie, Million Ways to Die in the West. Because, you know, if you're strong enough to make it through all of those things, to get out here and to make a business, to make a way for yourself, then you succeeded. And women that I write about, they did this not because they were women. These were not women with any kind of an axe to grind against men. They didn't have that agenda. They wanted a life for themselves. And that was the only thing on their minds. As far as finishing the book, you talked about the outline process and the research, but what about sitting down and writing the book and working through it to the point in which it's completed? Do you go chapter by chapter? How many times do you work through it and edit it, do multiple passes. Walk us through that period from when you sit down to really write the book and then feel it's in a good place. As I said, I handwrite everything. So I do a whole outline of the book 
where I'm going to go chapter by chapter, what's going to happen in each one of the chapters. And as I say, I do an outline for each chapter as well. So I write that. Howard takes some of the chapters and he writes it. Then I do a second rewrite by typing it into the computer. And then he and I swap the chapters and we do a third rewrite. We do up to four rewrites on the book. And then we send it to a fact checker and our own copy editor. I know that our publishing house has them in-house, a copy editor, but they don't necessarily have a fact checker. And when you're writing nonfiction, you want to make sure that you get that absolutely right. Even though you have in-notes and a bibliography, you want to get it absolutely right because especially if you're writing about anything having to do with the herbs, there's a million six people out there who think they know everything about the herbs, white herb. And so they will bust you on it. If you don't have your facts right, they'll nail you on it. You know, you want to make sure that all of that is correct. And so really, once we get it back from the fact checker, depending on what, if they were able to verify what we have written and they don't come back with, wait a second, what about this? We do another rewrite and then another rewrite after that. So usually we have six rewrites before we turn it into the publisher. And then the publisher, the editor will have their own idea of what it will be. And then there's another copy editor. So I'm going to say by the time it's done, maybe been rewritten and shaped and reshaped maybe 10 times. Are you always working on multiple projects? At what point, because I know once you get the publisher on board, it can take some time to get the book published. How many books are you working on at any given time? How do you multitask working on multiple projects? I'm working on three books at a time. I'm very organized in terms of how many pages I have to do each day for each book. I work out the math throughout the course of month. Here's what I have to do on certain days. and. When I'm through working on those particular aspects during the day, the writing, the actual physical writing of the book and the researching of the book, then in the evenings, I spend a lot of that time on promotion of the book and putting together publicity plans and how I'm going to market this material. So it's not for me, it is not just a nine to five way of working. 24-hour kind of cycle. I haven't slept since 72. So, you know, it works out well. Chris, are you ready for a couple bonus questions? Shoot. First one, you mentioned you're a licensed private investigator. How does that specifically affect your work? There have been a couple of times when I've been able to get or access records that ordinarily you couldn't the average person could access, but my license has been able to get me into different places like that. I think it's mostly the way that you are able to gain access to material that ordinarily the average person can't. A couple of times when I'm out in Northern California and I'm on, not necessarily a process serving job, but if I'm on an investigation of any kind, if I go into some Victorian homes, some great homes that were built you know, 1890s, a lot of the times the homes have been, the walls have been insulated with different pieces of paper and they've thrown everything in between the walls 
to insulate them. So sometimes I've been able to use my private investigation skills to go in and people know, listen, this house has this kind of historic pedigree. I'd like to take just a little slice here in the wall and dig behind and see if I can't find anything. So it's worked out in those particular respects. The next question, are you still a screenwriter by trade? Are you focusing mostly on books these days? And would you ever develop your own book into a film? I have focused primarily on writing books the last 25 plus years. I don't think that I would go back to doing any screenplay writing. I have a manager, Lori Posmentier, who was with William Morris for a number of years. She now has her own agency. And my material has been able to, you know, I wrote a book called The Pinks, and it's about the first female pink and detective agents in the country. And that store was picked up and they were, they worked with NBC. And so it was optioned by NBC. But I, I don't do any of the screenwriting anymore because that's not, I mean, maybe somebody else is going to make it work with being able to write screenplays and get them sold. But ordinarily, it's not going to work. If I do a book, I can get it published and get it out there to the public and if it sells well, then I'm able then to go to a studio and say, listen, this book is sold well, here's what it's about, as opposed to writing a screenplay that may or may never, ever see the light of day. And like I said, I mean, I, I write primarily comedy. And what I find funny may not be what the rest of the world finds funny. So that's always a, a crapshoot. Don't think I'd ever go back to doing the screenwriting thing. I have some friends who say, oh, but... Listen, this guy never wrote a screenplay before. He writes a screenplay and it gets bought right off by Amblin Entertainment. I mean, that's a rarity. That's kind of like going to the gold country and thinking that you're going to hit the mother load. People that made money in the gold country were not the people that found the gold. They were the people that sold the gold pans to the miners looking for the gold. Second to last question. If you could choose any writer, living or dead, to take to any fast food restaurant? We should say fast food, but it could be any restaurant. Which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? It's a wonderful writer out of North Carolina. She's my absolute favorite writer. Her name is Sharon McCrum. And she wrote this incredible book called The Ballad of Frankie Silver. I think she's a brilliant, brilliant author. She's written several books about women and women on the frontier. And I would just love to be able just to take her to, it wouldn't make any difference what restaurant I wouldn't be eating. I would sit there listening to her in complete captivity about how she has managed to create the work that she's been able to create. And so wherever we went, I wouldn't be eating. Just give me iced tea and I'll just sit and listen to her talk. Love that. The last question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career, to pass along to those writers who are listening right now? What's the one thing that you would say? I would say learn to market your material and to always be looking at how to market your material. A lot of people don't spend any time doing that. They think I've written a book and because I have written this book, now my publisher will take it and they will do what needs to be done for me. And that is just not going to happen. And I know sometimes 
it feels insulting for people to think, I don't have to market this. This is not my job. That's not what I do. But, you know, Daniel Pink is a wonderful author, too, who writes about marketing. And he wrote to sell as human. And if you are a working author, you've got to be a working salesperson. And that's what I would do. I would, I emphasize that a lot. I'm the president of Western Writers of America. And I speak a lot to authors about learning how to sell your work, learning how to market your material. No one's going to do that but you. To think that a publisher does that is it's just not true. A publisher might do 800, 900 titles a year. They're not going to spend a whole lot of time on your, especially somebody like me. I mean, I write books about women of the Old West. My publishing house also does books for Olivia Newton-John and the like. If they have to choose between marketing Olivia Newton-John stuff or my stuff, they're going to pick Olivia Newton-John's material. And that's not an insult. Business. It is a business. A lot of times writers don't want to hear that either because they think, oh my golly, I put my heart and soul into this. It can't be a business. It can't be just based on that. You know, that is a big part of it. That's, you know, I, I, I do, but I know that the Three Stooges reel for my publishing house. My books are the books that sell, that enable the bigger books about the little known characters to be able to be made. Just like the Three Stooges were able to get big pictures made based off of the money that they made for their little films. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been really fun to talk nonfiction. We don't always talk nonfiction on this podcast. We talk a lot of fiction, but it's always nice when we do. For those listening, Chris has two books coming out, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the first called Iron Women, about the women who build the railroad, and an upcoming book, Howard Kazanjian, called The Widow's Circle, about Elizabeth Custer, which is coming out next year. Chris, is there anything else you want to plug before you go? Yes, I would like once again to let people know to give the Death Row All-Stars read. A really amazing book. It's a true story of death row inmates who played baseball. And as long as they won, they got stays of execution. If you're listening, please check that out. Check out Chris's upcoming books. Chris, thank you again so much. It's really been an honor. And we really just appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you so much. And I hope people visit my website at chrisentz.com. Thank you, Chris. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.